0: This is SciBite, episode 103, for September 24th, 2013. and welcome to SciByte, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast live on Tuesday nights and fresh on Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather.
1: Hey there, Chris.
0: Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy
1: science.
0: So, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Today, we're going to take a look at Martian methane, robotic bees, familiar formations on Mercury, your feedback, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week.
0: I am looking forward to this, Heather. I don't think I have ever been more interested in methane than I was this week. So let's jump in to the news. All right. So uh, what is our news story this week? Our big story?
1: Our big story, Martian methane. So methane is one of the key things that it's Byproduct of most biological things. Mm. So we're like, hey, if there's some sort of goo or microbes or anything like that on Mars now, we would see methane. Okay. And so we've used the Mars Global Surveyor, we've used observations from Earth, and we've seen methane. The Global Surveyor orbiting Mars has been working 10 years charting as it's gone Uh, It's been there for more than 10 years. It's been charting where the methane is for three years. Earth observations have reported even higher numbers of methane in the Martian atmosphere. However, Mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. Mars Curiosity rover. He's on his road trip right now. And one of the instruments on it is to take atmospheric samples.
0: To check for things like methane? Methane. Hmm.
1: And it sees none.
0: Uh Uh-oh.
1: Now... Methane is only one indicator of possible life, but the vast majority, it's one particular type of microbial metabolism. Now, it is a good chunk of it, and methane would be a very clear, very easy indicator. So, it's saying there's probably much less likely to have methane-producing Martian microbes. Um but there are types of ones microbes here on earth that don't generate any methane too now this is from six different samples between october of 2012 and june of this year and none of them saw any signs of methane
0: hmm.
1: now it should be able to detect very minute concentrations so it's not like it's just under
0: just missing it the or radar. something yeah yeah i mean this is a bad sign isn't it because doesn't this mean that nothing's up there making them whoopee
1: <laughs> I'm making whoopee. There, right there is much less chance. That, like I said, there are microbes here on Earth that don't produce methane. They could very easily, you know, similar type be on Mars. Goodness only knows what kind of microbes Mars would have anyway. But this is one of the big things where we said, hey, we see it from Earth. This is great. This is really good indicator. So now the question is, why did we see that? Because methane— Right. It's not like it could have been there and just gone away.
0: Yeah, but we did pick it up with the reconnaissance uh, orbiter, right?
1: With the orbiter. Yeah, they've they've seen some of it. So that's the most interesting question as to what's going on. Is it this small location that's not seeing any? Or is it, you know, is the methane in different parts of the atmosphere? But it wouldn't be like it had dissipated. It would take millions of millions of years to have dissipated that much. It, methane isn't something that just leaves the atmosphere very quickly.
0: Oh, so this is like, I mean, that, so that kind of seems like a big deal.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's. That's not a good sign.
1: Yeah. Uh, Heaven's Revenge in the chat room says, you know, links to a thing that says the methane leaks on Saturn's moon Titan do evaporate. I'm talking about evaporation. I'm talking about completely leaving the atmosphere. It will hold, I mean, it will evaporate, but evaporating means it's still there. Now, in that case, that it could make clouds and rain back down upon the sky. I mean, on the ground. But this is, so it's just another interesting cog in the giant question. And in addition to that, it's why do we see so much of it from Earth? So now the question is, okay, well, what are our observations doing the big thing would be, what is the atmosphere doing to our measurements? The Earth's atmosphere. Because that would, be a, that would be a major, that's one of the major things in between us and Mars to say, hey, the Earth's atmosphere could be altering the data. And if it is, then what other data is kind of being skewed? But the most, so that that's kind of a separate issue that we're, that they're looking at, like, okay, well, We're not getting it right here on Earth. Let's try to figure that out. Hmm. But the Martian orbiter is still seeing it. So there's some question as to what's going on here. So, I mean, it could be that it's, you know, my guess would be that maybe it's not just in this location, that it's more locationally based. I've seen some maps that they've done that show concentrations of methane very different in various places. So, there's that, or could it, you know, from the chat room, you know, talking about the evaporation, maybe is it just all evaporated into the very, you know, upper atmosphere, not on ground level? But you're
0: thinking, you're you're thinking is that if, you know, if it was, so this thing, the the sensors on this rover are pretty sensitive. Yes. And so, if there was, I mean... it's one thing to say, okay, this type of plant or whatever, but to, to think that nothing would have given off methane is a pretty big stretch, right? So it seems like this is a bad sign, at least of where this guy's roving around at.
1: Yeah, for methane producing microbes, yeah, it's a very bad sign for where the little rover is now. Now, they've seen a lot of data that says, yes, they had all the right conditions for life as for microbes as we know it to sort of be there. Now, so we said, yes, the things we know that are most common, you know, that could be, that could have lived there. And a lot of those are methane-producing microbes. So right where the rover is, they're not seeing any methane. Now, will that change between there and the mountain that it's heading to, Mount Sharp? Eh, probably not that much. But it sort of puts another, there's a real twist in
0: the whole Right. In the mystery of what happened on Mars. You know, a thousand yes. years might seem like a long time to us, but in the grand scheme of the solar system, yeah, it's not that long, really.
1: No, yeah. it's really, really, really short.
0: All right. Well, any other thoughts on that one before we move on?
1: i just have to uh, see what exists or right. we're, see we're, what happens as we go on.
0: And, you know, when I saw this story hit the web, I thought, oh, I got to wait. I'm going to wait till Cybite. I know Heather's going to make sense of it for me, but I was thinking about this all week long, Heather. So uh, thank you there for you breaking go. that down for us. All right, well, then let's take a quick break. Right here, right now, I have a very special recommendation. But first, before I get to my recommendation this week, I do want to remind folks that one of the ways you can help support the Jupiter Broadcasting Network is by taking advantage of our affiliates. Now, we have those linked at the bottom of the Jupiter Broadcasting site. And one thing I want to bring attention to is the Chrome and Firefox extension because we did some updates. And as it turns out, we've been kind of bit by that because one of the updates we did was to make the Chrome extension and the Firefox extension a little bit better netizens. However, it, ch- it changes the way, in it re- the way it reads URLs when you visit Amazon, and so because of that, it requires reauthorization. Now, it's disabled by default on everyone's computer until they reauthorize it, and that's been a huge hit to our bottom line. And we'd really much appreciate it if you would check your Chrome browser to make sure that extension is turned on. If you don't have it yet, well, now would be a great time to get it, and that extension while it's open source and up on github you can always check out what it's all about what it really it comes down to is why you when you visit amazon new egg think geek best buy woot.com mono price lots of great sites when you shop a portion of your shopping session is contributed to the jupiter broadcasting network it doesn't cost you anything more it's just part of the affiliate agreement we have with that company and i have a recommendation i've never made this recommendation on the show it's a little out there listen I am a Roku man. Roku 3, oh. man. It, it, oh, Heather. Sold me. So guess what? Here it is. You ready for the ultimate spousal acceptance factor feature that Roku has built into this thing? Okay. The remote control has a headphone jack built into it, and it comes with earbuds. So that way, if you are in a situation where maybe one person's on a tablet or one person wants to sleep or one person wants to read, and but you both want to be in the same room together or whatever it is... You can actually plug a pair of headphones into the remote control, and then the Roku will automatically route all of the audio for the menus, for the videos, Netflix, whatever it is, to the remote control into oh the headphones. My it's so awesome. So, like, when Angie decides, okay, I'm ready to go to bed, and I, like, want to finish up the episode of Star Trek that I'm watching, <laughs> right, of course, I just pop the headphones in, and she's able to go to bed, no problem. Like, doesn't worry about the sound at all. I don't have to worry about the audio waking up the kids. And it has built-in volume toggles right there on the remote. Now, Linux Action Show listeners love it because the Roku runs Linux. HDMI, Ethernet, if you connect this thing to Netflix or anything like that, it's great, but you can also install a piece of software on your home computer called Plex, which then exposes all of the media that you might have on a computer or a NAS to the Roku box and streams it over your home network. When you combine that with things like Netflix and YouTube and also the Jupyter Broadcasting app, we have a Jupyter Broadcasting app for the Roku player, and you can watch the live stream, you can watch all of the shows, you can watch... Uh, side anything on the right there on your roku device and the in the jupyter broadcasting app is absolutely free once you have a roku so i'll give a hearty recommendation of the roku 3 i i have bought three of them now <laughs> I, I just love them and uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes if you click that before you shop it'll automatically tag your shopping session to support the Jupiter broadcasting network we had a record-breaking bandwidth month last month record-breaking so cool, but it means additional costs, and so it, it's kind of yeah. a double whammy if uh, the revenues go down at the same time. But you know what? We have we have the means to move on, but we could really use your support. So we appreciate it if you click those links at the bottom of our website before you shop, or if you go grab that browser extension. And Heather, with that file, yes. I believe it's time for the news bite. All right, what are we talking about? In the news bite.
1: righty. Robotic
0: bees. Of course.
1: Of course. (laughs) So these are not little, they look like bees and they're flying around. No, no. This is very early. Hey, we've got an idea. This sort of kind of works thing. So this kind of comes from the fact that something mysterious is happening to a good chunk of
0: America's bees. Mm, Yeah. They're calling it a colony collapse, right?
1: Yes. Actually, I have a link. uh, You talked about it in uh, an unfiltered once. You mentioned it.
0: In episode eight, yeah.
1: Yes. And so not only does that affect, hey, yay, there's more bees for those allergic, but that also means less honey and farmers use it. They like rent bees out and they put it out in their crops so it'll pollinate their whole crop. And so that makes it a lot more expensive that way too. So some researchers at Harvard are working on these tiny little drones the size of bees that you know, may be able to if it they, you know, get all technology happy, that would be able to sort of emulate that sort of function of a bee.
0: You're kidding me.
1: So right now they're really, they're designed to be small enough poll- to pollinate a flower. They're like 80 milligrams. Their wings are kind of mimicking those of a specific fly so they can hover, gives them, you know, so they can hover over a, pl- a flower, kind of gives them time to, transfer pollen and it's but the problem is there's so small there's no room for gears so how do the wings fly piezoelectricity which is the certain ceramic that when it contracts when it's stimulated by electricity so this movement and electricity is sort of connected think uh it's not just like crazy random things on a uh, if you have a grill you push that button
0: right. that's
1: also piezoelectricity because it's a force starting a spark, starting electricity. This is kind of going the other way. So what they're able to do is put a charge on it, and the little wings are able to flex. Oh, wow. Fly.
0: Almost like muscles, too, in a way, right?
1: Yes, it is precisely, almost exactly like that. So they have that, but they're definitely not ready for primetime yet. If you watch the video, you can obviously see they have little wires attached to them. It's because it's so tiny. There's no room for a battery pack. Yeah, so, and if they use this kind of a thing, then it would need some sort of computer smart brainness to be able to say, hey, there's a flower. Fly to it. Hey, there's another flower. Fly to it.
0: That's incredible, Heather.
1: So, it, there's a long way to go about this. They've got to be able to find something that could fit on something this tiny and then be powered by something this tiny and keep its weight. So it's a very long ways off, but they're kind of starting on that way.
0: I guess that's one way to address the problem, right? <laughs> it's just build you know, well, drones.
1: <laughs> yep. As so long like, as you can
0: power them, I suppose.
1: Yeah, so it's like, let's see. Figure out all the different ways that this can work. You mean we can make robots? Let's make robots. Let's let's try that too. Robots are fun.
0: Wow. I mean, it is interesting that uh, you come you come to think of the technology could essentially – replace some of the aspects of the ecosystem that are failing us
1: mm-hmm. um
0: maybe it's not all doom and gloom right heather maybe it's yeah not.
1: i mean there's there's a lot of science i mean researchers are looking at anything that's you know hey there's something in nature happening hey what can right. science do to help this to figure out what's going on to combat it, it to that? make up for it
0: yeah 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 what what can we observe from nature and apply to science Yes. Uh, Very interesting. All right, Heather. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the two byte news. (coughs) (coughs) Band is here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, uh, every now and then, I think to myself, "Hey, is that Han Solo trapped in carbonite on another planet? Maybe Mercury? Is that what's going on, Heather?"
1: maybe shrug (laughs) shoulders hands in air
0: who can say
1: (laughs) so they've got you've got an orbiter going around mercury right now and so they're taking all these pictures and a portion of the terrain sounding one of the northern margin of what a basin is an elevated block kind of reminds you of han solo and carbonite
0: totally reminds me of han solo and carbonite
1: yep so it's maybe some of like the original surface or a because it predates this formation. So it could have been just material ejected from a basin forming event. But a lot of these times you see something familiar and it's uh, a paffinina. I butchered that word. Is, it, is it,
0: You know, we've talked about this before. You've, yes. You're you the one that put this phrase in my head, actually. It's like the, the brain is a pattern recognition machine. Like, that's what it does, yes. right? So if yep. it sees something, it's like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah, I recognize yep. that. Yep, it's
1: why you see things in clouds, why you see, you know, the man in the moon is there, and why you see all sorts of different things because your brain is trying to identify things. And the first thing it sees, it's like, that looks like a fill-in-the-blank here.
0: Right, yeah, and and in this case, it's a Han Solo. (laughs) It's a Han Solo. (laughs) Yes, Uh,
1: a lot of these I just kind of pass by because they're just like, uh, not again. You're going to pretend to see a rat on Mars again. It's it's
0: good though because, like, it's so funny because every now and then, like, sometimes it's years down the road, like you see it crop up as a conspiracy. Like, honestly, I from time to time I still see the face on Mars thing come up. Yep, I still see that on the internet. That is
1: one of the things that they talk about when you look at you know these kind of. When it happens and it's – the Face on Mars thing is weird also because they went back later and took pictures of it and it looked really nothing like that first right. famous conspiracy picture.
0: It the, That first one was like uh, – well, and and you know, – have were there a couple of that first one like from different angles? Because I believe I've seen it from different angles too, which people are like, you see, they have multiple angles of it. I don't know. That Face yeah. on Mars thing is a classic one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, very good. So uh, that is not Han Solo, Frozen and Carbonite. Not yet, folks. Don't panic. When you see the rumors about Mercury floating around online, you have been uh, informed thanks to Heather. See, there you go, Heather. You're keeping folks in the loop. All right. Well, then why don't uh, we move right on to a little incoming communications. All right, we got some feedback this week.
1: We do. Generally, people can Twitter me or turn in something on the form online but this time it was a straight communication because it was from alan from bsd now and tech snap oh they're broadcasting such things yes and he said hey did you see this and it was the deep impact not the movie goodness not the movie it is a spacecraft that was one that went and it had the little it was going for a comet and it had a little thing that shot off and smashed into the comet nucleus, so it could, so the rest of the spacecraft could observe all the material that was ejected. Right. So they were able to do that, and
0: didn't about, they just proclaim it was like lost this week or something? There was some sort of news yep. story. Yeah,
1: that's the story. That for nine years in space, they you no, know, they haven't been able to communicate with it since August the eighth. It's been a little while, mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, it was a really interesting mission, and in addition, because they had another spacecraft that was going inst- to, that with a minor adjustment, we were going to be able to fly past that comet as well, like, years later. Oh, cool. So they are able to look, and they could actually see the impact space, place, that the first spacecraft hit it. Now, it's kind of sad and funny, I mean... It definitely had more it did more than that, just that one comet. It was able to fly by another comet, did confirmation, did different studies and looking at planets orbiting around other stars, a whole bunch of different different things that it did. But so they were looking at what happened. We lost so we lost communication. Mm. What happened? So they try to, you know, send up commands and try to reactivate the systems. You know, you send everything like Where are all right, you? let's let's <laughs> Tell it to reboot. You shoot it off in the whole area and you say, hey, reboot and call back home. Yeah. Hey, reboot, call back home. Right. Like trying to get in, in touch with the college student, saying, hey, throw things, call me, but nothing. So then they looked and they went, hmm, we think we know what happened. There is a fault in the protection software that may not have been able to read any date after August 11th. Oh. Almost Y2K standing. Like, for some reason, at that point, it would have reset its clock to January 1st of the year, doesn't matter. So, it, it affecting doing that, it would affect the position of the radio antennas, which would make communication difficult. It would reset the solar arrays, so the solar arrays would think they need to be pointed in a different direction, so they couldn't get power from the sun. So it would keep it from getting power. It would keep it from, you know, warming itself up. It would freeze out the equipment, freeze out the battery, freeze out the propulsion system. So, yes. it's
0: Not good. No. Kind of it was, SOL. It was,
1: yeah, like, I was reading the story and I was like, oh, no. Because these things happen, you know, after so many years. I mean, it was made for a specific mission. And... it's lent that and so now we're like nine years you're like woohoo let's do all this extra stuff well and silly
0: me i always assumed like the the thing has equipment it's just well i just detect where the sun is at and i point my uh i point my panels at it i never thought that they've pre-programmed every moment of its life and at this time at this point in day it points this way but that actually makes the most sense when i think about how these things would actually work (laughs) yeah yeah. So,
1: but yeah, it's like calculating. It's like, hey, around this time I need to be pointed in right. that direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To so, to be able to know where it has to call home to Earth because Earth is going to be in a different location. So it has to keep calculating all these different things. But yeah, cuz these these systems die out. You know, so you we lose some spacecraft. You know that happens after a certain period of time. Little Martian rovers, they get stuck in piles of dirt and you know, they they reach the end of their their little life, but when I got to the point that it couldn't read a date after a certain point, I just kind of had my head. Yeah, I hung my head and going, "Oh my goodness." Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of rovers, should we head up to Mars and do a Curiosity update? Let's go and lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe yeah! on Mars. Yep. Right mm. there. Okay. So what is the curiosity rover up to other than not finding methane?
1: Not finding methane, yes. So we were hanging out there in the first landing zone for about six months. So lots of exciting things were happening. And now we're kind of more on a road trip. Really on a road trip to the mountain that's kind of our goal. Now along the way, they're still stopping by. And, you know, uh, last week I talked about how they had their, you know, waypoint one. And they did a little bit of science there. But after a year of driving, you know, it's all about, you know, uh, researchers here, scientists here say, look, and they take every little step and they program it and they say, okay, curiosity, this is what we want you to do. Drive two feet, turn wheels, 30 degrees, drive one foot, turn wheels, you know, step by step by step. And so it takes a little while to get things moving back and forth. But now they're starting to get some capabilities of it doing some autonomous driving on its own. Mm. So humans will still say, go there, and point at a spot in the ground. But the rover would be able to decide how to get there. So it would take pictures of the navigation cameras and the hazard cameras, and it would say, okay, we're combining all this data to say, there's some rocks there. We don't need to drive there. Here's a piece of flat land. We'll drive there. So it'll... And it was, you know, able to look back and forth like before crossing the street. And so it was able to drive about 10 meters, 30 feet, at an average speed of about 10 feet a minute, which sounds slow, but it's actually fairly fast for driving on Mars. So, you know, it drove and it was able to curve a little bit to one side to avoid some small rocks that was in front of it. So, and then they would take pictures of right before they started a, a small drive. So then they would take a picture of the surrounding, t- surrounding terrain, drive a short distance, take another picture, and it would use that to say, this, we recognize these rocks, and now they have moved this much. So then they could calculate, okay, we know exactly how far we have driven. It's not just, we tell the wheels to, tr- to rotate, you know, a quarter turn, and we know that we've driven this far. It's, we did that, we think we've driven that far, what does the rest of the you know world tell tell me how far we've driven, so that it's you know if the wheels get stuck or start turning in place, then you know you're not just thinking you're driving somewhere and burying yourself deeper and deeper into something.
0: <laughs> right, that's a good idea. You can
1: you can see so they're actually measuring exact, letting the rover measure exactly how far it's going, kind of prepare about where it should going, so.
0: Hmm. And it all gives it – it all makes it ready for that way when its human masters go away, maybe because the Earth continues to exist, uh, it can continue (laughs) to move on and uh, explore Mars on its own without us and truly being uh, one of the greatest things we leave behind in in the universe.
1: We're still telling it where to go.
0: Well, okay. I mean baby steps, Heather, baby steps.
1: Yeah, baby steps. Right now we're saying drive over here. Drive, you know, 30 feet and it can get there without, you know – Scientists having to be, and engineers having to be right there. Yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it?
1: It gets, it it get things moving a lot quicker.
0: Speaking of moving a lot quicker, why don't you jump in the time machine? Let's see where we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Buckle in, buckle in. Let me close the door. Let me close the cheese. Oh boy, I almost messed that one up. (sighs) Any fluctuations and we don't make it. All right, so this took us to 135 years ago. Yeah, you could probably tell by that vibration, which, by the way, this is September 25th. 1878. Heather, what happened this week in science?
1: There was a warning against the use of tobacco.
0: Oh, really? That long ago?
1: 135 a- years ago.
0: 1878,
1: huh? 78. There was a Dr. Dr. Charles Drysdale. He pointed to saying, you know, enormous consumption of tobacco, you know, was, you know, saying that there was so much money spent annually on tobacco. And he said the use of tobacco is one of the most evidence of, you know, you know saying that there's retrograde effects. Saying, "Hey, there's excessive use, and you can have jaundice. And smoking gives you does, uh, affects your heart, and affects your lungs." And he wrote a whole book about it. And in fact, he went even further. He was in a later story. He was like, "All right, ladies, you're sitting there in the smoking room with your gentlemen. Guess what? The smoke will affect you as well."
0: Wow! Look at him go.
1: So, so it was. He was talking very seriously about how. The moisture in your lungs would have a detrimental effect on how the smoke was affecting your lungs. And in fact, not just smoking it yourself, but other people around you.
0: Secondhand smoke. Would
1: secondhand smoke. Uh, I was just blown away by the fact that he was talking about giving warnings and talking about secondhand smoke. 135 years ago.
0: It gives you kind of an idea of how sometimes once, even once we come to realize something and we kind of, uh, it takes a long time for certain things to sort of work their way through the system. And yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, look at him 135 years ago. All right, Heather. Well, let me recalibrate the Cybite 2000. That way we can look up into the sky this week.
1: All righty. On Thursday, September the 26th, the last quarter moon is going to be rising around 11 to midnight local time and Jupiter will be to its lower left and if you look even farther to its lower to the right you'll actually see the constellation Orion. Orion is one of those major easy constellations. Has the three stars all in a row, the belt stars, and that has four stars in a rectangle around it. So like the shoulders, the belt and the you know the waist of a of a warrior up there. Warrior. Yes. We move on to Saturday, September the 28th. Now Jupiter is sitting much closer to the moon and to its upper left, in fact. And if you look to the northeastern sky, you'll be able to see a giant double, kind of squash a W in the sky, and that is the constellation Cassiopeia. Another very easy to locate constellation. You can even look way cooler to your friends being able <laughs> to get constellations on openly planets. Because all the cool kids know astronomy. That's right. And on Sunday, September the 29th, now Jupiter is going to be very close to the moon, but sitting straight above it in the east. In general, the planets this week, we've got Mercury hanging about 20 minutes after sunset. It's about 22 degrees to the lower right of Jupiter. And just so you know, if you hold your fist out at arm's length, that is about 10 degrees. Okay. You're, it all calibrates out the length of your arm and the, the width of your fist in general. So, and... Actually, it's going to be very close to a fainter star, Spica. And in fact, on Tuesday, they're only going to be three quarters of a degree apart. Now, if you hold your arm at arm's length, your pinky finger is one degree. So Mercury and Spica are going to be less than a pinky's width apart from each other. On Venus and Saturn front, about twilight, look to the lower west to southwest. And Saturn is going to be moving farther and farther to the right of Venus as the week progresses. Mars this week is going to be up in the wee early hours of 3 a.m. local time, Hmm. moving to the east as dawn begins, and it'll be to the far lower left of Jupiter. And in fact, it's going to be just below uh, Regulus, which is actually two binary stars, and it's very blue. So you can kind of see them getting closer and closer as the week moves on, so you can see... Mars is a bit of an orange-red tint, and then Regulus be a bit of a blue so you can see very color variations there. Jupiter is also going to be up in the wee early hours at 5 a.m. local time. Hello! Oh, yep, both the moon and Jupiter are going to be shining in the eastern sky this week, being all cool. And on Thursday, it'll be far to the lower left of the moon, and on Friday, the moon will be much closer
0: to it. Hmm, very nice. Wow, that's a that's a pretty busy week. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the sky, and of course, Heather has all of that outlined in the show notes. You just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, find Sybite 103. And uh, specifically, the keep an eye out for stuff is at the bottom of the show notes. But Heather has epic show notes for everything with links, video embeds, pictures, all kinds of stuff. So if you were on the audio version of the show and something we talked about might have just kind of grabbed your interest, when you get a free moment, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, check out episode 103, and look at all the goodies Heather has over there. Heather, anything else you want to cover before we go? I don't think so. All right. Very good. Well, thank you for the great show. I think uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this one. I think so. All right, everyone, well, thank you for tuning this week's episode of SciBite. Don't forget, we do these episodes live on Tuesdays over at jblive.tv. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, which now has an updated interface. So you can choose your local time zone, and then you can also subscribe and get that overlaid on your calendar automatically, or you can download the show on Wednesdays over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week.